glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 17. Stand with me if you would. I think we might have forgot to do that this morning. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read down through verse 32. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth... Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, And have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now he's going to give some practical instruction now, verse 25. Wherefore... Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing uh, which is good, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Thank you. you may be seated. Of course, verse 29 is our text verse. There are specific types of speech mentioned in this text. He mentions lying. Uh, He mentions uh, evil speaking. Uh, So so using our tongue to tear another person down, I believe that slander and gossip, backbiting, all falls under evil speaking, Uh, coming up with plans of how to harm somebody else. All of that is evil speaking. Let me just say this. in In an age where... We've become, and I, don't, I wouldn't call the United States of America biblically literate, but a lot of people have a great familiarity with Bible terms. So I think what happens in our day with the familiarity of Bible terms, I was speaking, speaking to my children about this last week in devotions, we, we fail sometimes to do what the Bible calls justice and judgment, meaning we hear that term and what we can do is redefine the term to, to, to fit and match what we're doing. Instead of adjusting ourselves to the terms God uses, we adjust the terms to us. And so here, if we are guilty of evil speaking, we might define evil speaking as all kinds of speech but the kind I use. And so in the weeks ahead, God willing, with with His help, we'll define some of these terms, lying and evil speaking, slander, backbiting, some of these things that we need to be able to define very clearly from God's point of view so that when it's in our life, we can put it away as we're told to. But tonight, again, we'll stay more general this evening because I believe this will lay out some groundwork for the messages ahead. Both what we should not have proceeding out of our mouth and what should be proceeding out of our mouth. We'll be dealing 
with both of those things uh, moving forward. But anyway, tonight, as we look at verse 29, right in the middle of this text of Scripture of putting off the old man and putting on the new, he deals with, with working rather than stealing. He deals with telling the truth rather than lying. And in the midst of that, he gives us a rule. Now, there are those who think that under grace there are no rules. That's nonsense. Under grace, we are ruled from a different motivation. Under law, the motivation was fear and the strength was in the flesh. That's why the law cannot save. Under grace, the motivation is faith and love and the strength is that of the Spirit of God. God's standard didn't change. It's not like under grace. I said this here recently. Many think that grace changed God. Grace didn't change God. He's still the same holy God he was when law was in place. What grace does is it enables man through Jesus Christ to meet God's standard. Grace doesn't change God. It doesn't make God less holy. Grace changes man, makes an unholy man a holy man. God granting us what we have not earned and deserved in pardoning us and giving His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So, meaning this, under grace, the, the, the standard or rule is higher, not lower. We don't say, well, now that I'm not going to be condemned, I'll do what I wanted to in the first place. No, the reason we, we appeal to the grace of God is we knew we, can, we deserved condemnation and we asked for that pardon knowing He was right to, to have us condemned and desire us to be what He wanted us to be. So what grace does is it thrills your soul when you say, I can actually do what's right. If grace means to me is I can actually do what's wrong and get by with it, something's badly wrong with that picture. Grace is not in place to give us a license to sin. Grace is in place to give us liberty from sin. And that's, that's where these rules come from. When you have, when the grace of God has gripped your heart, you want to know how can I do what He wants me to do. So a rule from Him as to how to conduct yourself is not bondage, it's liberty. It is an empowering agent to help you do what you want to do. And that is serve the one who saved you. Now, don't misunderstand me. Your flesh still resists that. But if you're saved, somewhere inside of you is a nature that wants to obey God. And he'll work on that and deal with that and, uh, and, and work to stir that. He's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I do not look at, let no corrupt communication precede out of your mouth. Think, man, how restrictive. I really wish I could use corrupt speech. I go, how, what a blessing to know very clearly what he expects of me so that I can know what is acceptable to Him. He has accepted me when I was unacceptable. Now I want to live acceptably for Him because of that. Amen? Amen. And so then tonight as we get some instruction on our speech, if I wish to use corrupt language, somewhere the world is having more influence on me than Christ. I I would dare anyone, and I say dare because there's scorners and scoffers out there who claim to be preachers who defend their own filthy mouths, men who curse over the pulpit and use crude language over the pulpit and quote filthy movies over the pulpit and say that's about reaching people, nonsense. I would challenge any one of them to find any one place in Scripture where our Savior ever used any corrupt speech. One time, it's not there. And we're to be conformed to Him. So let's look at verse 29. Again, in the midst of this instruction on what Christianity, what being in Christ looks like practically. So because Christ is in me, then Christ is to be on me, and what does that look like? And again, a number of things are mentioned, but in the midst of that, one clear-cut instruction in verse 29, and we'll break it down into these three parts about our speech. It begins with a prohibition. 
Now, I understand that we're not supposed to start with negatives, but the Spirit of God did in verse 29. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's our first part tonight. Our first point, if you're taking notes, is a prohibition that is given. The Lord in this verse is giving a broad commandment about our speech, and he begins with, okay, if you're going to know how to use your tongue, let me tell you what should never come from your mouth. Now, how many of us understand the word never? I know it's not used in this text, but we would say, never let this happen. When he says, let no, that means how many times is is what he's about to proceed with here going to be okay? Zilch. Zero. None. If you looked in Ephesians chapter 5, we won't do that for time's sake, he's going to say, let none of these things, he's going to give you a list of things that are characteristic of unsaved people. Let not these things once be named among you as becometh saints. There are some things that God says, I am not tolerant of it in the lives of my children at all. It not, is not to be something that you are okay with on an occasional basis. So how many of you ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, you know, sometimes I can't help it. I just let one slip. Anybody ever heard somebody claim to be a Christian say something like that? Oh, you know, when you stub your thumb, what are you supposed to say? Nothing corrupt. God starts with a prohibition. Here's what I like. I love it when the language is clear enough that it's not hard to understand. So when someone says, well, is it wrong for a Christian on occasion to let a filthy word slip, to let a curse word toward God slip, to, oh, every now and then maybe tell an off-color joke. I mean, honestly, we're, we're under God's grace. We are but dust. God understands, doesn't he? He understands well enough to know we're, we are now representing Christ, and therefore none of that is supposed to come from our mouth question would be, so when a Christian, a believer in Christ, does that, is it sin? Yes, it's direct disobedience to a direct command, which is sin. And so then the prohibition, let's give you three things to consider in this prohibition. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. How many of us know that is a very difficult instruction to understand? It's really not, is it? It's absolute. It doesn't leave wiggle room as some would want to have, no. So I'll give you three things. Number one, the reason. Why does he give us this prohibition? Why does he not want corrupt communication? And that word communication is not referring to our lifestyle so much. It's referring to specifically words we use that proceed from our tongue. Why would he give us this prohibition? Well, you got to go back to verses 17 through 24 to get the underlying reason why he says, I don't want corrupt communication proceeding out of your mouth. Let's look at it again. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, meaning from this point forward, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Meaning they think a lot of empty thoughts that are meaningless and have no value and therefore their life proceeds from their vain thoughts. I don't want you living that way. God doesn't want you living that way. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened. The reason their mind is vain is they don't understand things. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He says, here's the way other Gentiles. So you Gentiles have received the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You've believed on Christ. You've you believed the gospel. That is what distinguishes you from other Gentiles. 
They're walking in the darkness of their minds. They do not understand the way of God, the will of God. They do not understand what it means to walk in a life of righteousness. But you do. You've got Christ in you now. So your life is to be lived differently than everyone else. This is what we call today biblical separation. Now you can, you can pin on a lot of outward external rules that do not proceed from your heart. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Christ dwells in you. He has now enlightened your mind to understand the difference between good and evil. When I say corrupt communication, most of you have already lived long enough in this room to already think, yep, I know what he's talking about. The kind of language they use on the radio, the kind they use over here, the kind my coworkers use, I know exactly what you're talking about. We understand because we're saved, there's a distinction between wholesome speech and corrupt speech. God gives us that understanding. The lost world doesn't have that. That's why the filth that proceeds from them does. And so he goes on to say, uh, he's explaining there's a distinction in you. You are now in Christ and therefore that distinction is supposed to be seen in the way you carry out your life. And so he says uh, that they're living in, they've given themselves over unto lasciviousness. We would do well in our culture to study that word in our Bible. Lasciviousness it has to do with an overinterest in sensual sexual things. That's, that's why people talk the way they do. That's where their minds are. Christians aren't supposed to do that. Amen? Uh, and so lasciviousness and uncleanness. That's what we talk about dirty jokes, things that, that promote sinful conduct that God never ordained. And so then greediness. <laughs> Is that not pretty much the, the, the foundation of what most lost people talk about? Lasciviousness, uncleanness, greediness. Longing for what they want more and more of, whether it's money or sensual pleasure, whatever it may be. Then he says, verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Meaning Christ would not have you. you. If you know Christ and you do know Christ, you know he's not for lasciviousness and uncleanness and greediness. He died to save you from that. And if you know Christ, you know he's not for that. And then he goes on to explain. So here's some practical Here's some practical things because you've not so learned Christ that your life is to be distinct in. He says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, meaning get your mind renewed and understand who Christ is, the holiness and righteousness of Christ and what it looks like practically in your life. By the way, just say this, in Ephesians chapter 4 is the bridge chapter between the, the positional, the doctrinal aspect of our salvation and the practical. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about the doctrinal uh, position of our salvation, our position in Christ. Then chapters 4, 5, and 6 say, because of your position in Christ, this is to be your practice on earth. Amen? So in chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's who we are in heaven. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, that's who we're supposed to be on earth. In this generation, every Christian would be wise to understand the layout of the book of Ephesians and what that looks like. What we hear is, because I am seated in the heavenlies, there's nothing I can do on earth that would make God upset with me because I've been pardoned by grace. That's not biblical. Amen? Because I'm seated in the heavenlies, because I'm pardoned, that is to be demonstrated in every facet of my practical life, every aspect of how I use my body, including... My speech. So we're talking about the reason. Why does he give this prohibition? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Because you've not so learned Christ. You, you, if you know Christ, you know he never spoke out of lasciviousness. How many think he ever said a crude word about any woman? Not once. How many think he ever lied to his parents or his siblings or anybody else? Not once. How many times did he backbite somebody? I got news for you. He never backbit the Pharisees. Whatever he had to say, he said it straight to them. Amen. 
He, this is not who he was, so we've not so learned Christ. You know what Paul is reminding us of here, and the, what the Spirit of God is reminding us of? The standard for our conduct is Jesus Christ. Someone says, do you believe in standards? I do. Jesus Christ is the standard. So you want to know how we should speak or how we shouldn't speak? Study Christ. Know Christ. We understand very clearly he never apologized for the gospel. He preached it and spake it boldly. Died to, to bring it about. And so then, that's what Paul, by the Spirit of God, is reminding us. Ye have not so learned Christ. Christ is not lascivious. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this about Jesus? Boy, he was, he was an end guy. He, was, he went around with the party crowd. What a blasphemous thing to say about Jesus Christ. What they're saying is he went and hung out with sinners that weren't repentant. He said just the opposite. He said, I, 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 the, the, they that are holy, not a physician, they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners too. Repentance, the reason you find me with these people you're calling sinners is they are repentant. We agree about sin. I haven't agreed with them. They have agreed with me. That's the difference. Amen? Uh, you say, what's this have to do with it? There's a whole mentality today that you can be a saved and right with God and in fellowship with God and use speech just like the rest of the world, and that's okay. This passage says, no, because you're in Christ, because you've learned Christ, you know that Christ does not, does not use lascivious speech. He does not use greediness and uncleanness because it's not in him. So it doesn't come out of him. And so then our, our standard is Christ. And so the reason for the prohibition is this. You're in Christ and Christ is in you. And you are to be learning of Christ and following Christ, not the culture, not the world. It seems to me everything under the sun today about... Uh, about how we defend sin is about reaching people, reaching people, reach. Look, we need to reach people with the gospel. You know how hard it is to reach people with the gospel? Take the gospel, go out there and talk to somebody. You reached them. Now, what they do with it is up to them. Reaching people means we get them to like us and hang around us. No, maybe they will, but they're going to have to repent and believe on Christ if that's going to happen, or we're going to have to repent and quit believing if we're going to get along, but somebody's got to change their thinking. And what God says, don't change yours. Think like Christ. No lascivious speech, none of this uncleanness. So the reason for the prohibition is because Christ is our standard and there's no corruption in Him. And so then, uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth because there's no corruption in Christ. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a great verse, especially if you're interested in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I assume if you're here tonight, you are. We'll just make that assumption. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Paul is speaking to Timothy about... Uh, he's, he had named Hymenaeus and Philetus, whose word did eat as a canker. And he's challenging Timothy to serve the Lord and, and help him understand that in a great house, there's vessels unto honor and vessels unto dishonor. How many of you know we're going to encounter people in the service of the Lord that didn't turn out being vessels unto honor. There are Demases in God's service. There are Judases in God's service. So there are quitters. There are frauds. In a great house, there's vessels unto honor and vessels unto dishonor. Don't follow the ones unto dishonor. Look what he says here. He says this in verse 19, verse 18, who, speaking of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal... The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. Verse 20. But in the great house there, not only vessels of gold and of silver, 
but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. What he's saying is, Timothy, if you want to be prepared unto every good work, you're going to have to separate from those vessels unto dishonor. He's talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus. In that regard, false doctrine, but let me put it to you this way. What is the best way to make sure, one of the best ways to make sure that we honor this prohibition that no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth? One of the things you hear me preach about is the kind of content we put into our hearts through our ears and our eyes. Let me ask you this. If I am spending time listening to people use corrupt communication on purpose, meaning I understand you're in your workplace, you can't control other people's speech. That, that's, that's out of our control. But what I willingly and intentionally put in my ears, if I get in my car and all you have to do is listen to five minutes of country western music and I promise you you've heard, country, you've heard corrupt communication. I can promise you. You cannot get five minutes of that stuff without corrupt communication. That's what, they, that's what they build that music on. And therefore, by the way, that's why I don't want any music we have to sound anything like what they produce. When I think of country western music, and we could pick on other genres, but when I hear of that, I think of adultery, drunkenness, philandering, uh, licentious living, because that is what that promotes. And look, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. That's why I don't want what's taking place here or what I'm putting in my mind, not only to not have the corrupt communication, I don't even want it to sound like it because of what it's identified with. I hear people talk about Christian rap. There's no such thing. That, is, that, is a not, that does not exist. Dry water does not exist. Christian rap does not exist. How many of you know the culture of rap music? Does it promote corruption or purity? Then why should we use what is promoting purity to sound like what promotes corruption? I'm getting a little off course, but bear with me. You cannot, here's the reason, by the way, we want to produce worldly sounding music inside the realm of religion. It is a bridge to go back to the other. I can soothe my conscience and find my way back to where I really want to be in my flesh anyway. What I find is God says, let him, every man that nameth the name of Christ do what? Depart from iniquity. And if I don't want corruption coming out, I cannot be putting corruption in. What goes in will come out. Amen? Uh, and so then, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That was all free of charge. The reason for our prohibition, we've not so learned Christ. Christ would teach us to separate from sin that we might represent Him truly. Some would say the best way to win people today is just, you know, you gotta, you got to be human. Look, we are human. We don't have to be. We are. How many of you know you got sin to deal with every day? So you don't have to try all you got to do is just be honest. But the fact is, that is not to be a license to be corrupt or sinful. We are to represent our Savior truly. The, re- the reason for the prohibition, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, is because that does not align with who Jesus Christ is. No corrupt communication proceeded out of His mouth. Therefore, it's not to proceed out of our mouth. Let me ask you this. If we accept that as our standard, our rule for my tongue, Here's the rule for my tongue. If it's corrupt, it's not welcome out of my mouth, period. How many other facets of my life is that going to affect if I'm going to honor that rule? Many. I got news for you. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I've cut off certain things I listen, watch to, and ingest, whether it's news or entertainment, is because I can't hear that without it putting corruption in. And my rule is, God's rule for me is no corruption out. 
And I've got to make sure I'm not intentionally putting corruption in if I want to honor that rule. And that's his rule in my life. And so the reason is it's not of Christ. The responsibility. How many of you know what word is assumed at the beginning of verse 29? It's not in your text, but it's assumed. You. Let no corrupt. Who's responsible to make sure this takes place? We are. It's a commandment. Let the assumed word is you in front of, of the word let. It's assumed. You. That would be each of us as individual. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. This is where temperance comes in. The fruit of the Spirit is temperance. Because he indwells, he enables us to rule our tongues. No person can rule their tongue in their own power. None. But by the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can, we can stop our mouths from saying what crosses our mind. Amen? Some of you do it all the time. Sometimes I'll tell my kids, I said, you see the blood running down my face? You see that? My tongue is being bitten so hard right now. There's got to be blood coming out. And, and, and need, I need more of that, by the way. But the responsibility, I won't belabor this, but the responsibility is ours. You see, once we're saved, we're free to do right. We are now free to... I wish we could grasp the truth of Romans chapter 6 and the freedom we've been given. Before we were saved, we were not free to do right. We were, free, we were bound to sin. Now that we're saved, we now have been liberated and freed to do what's right. Many of us are like the bear I described in that video this morning. We got the snare taken off and we don't know what to do with our freedom. We stand there where we were not moving in the right direction because we don't realize we're free. But it doesn't change the fact we are. How I many you know that after you've been in a snare, you may still feel like that snare's on you? But it doesn't change the fact. If Christ saved you, He freed you. He freed you. You are no longer bound to use filthy language. You are no longer bound to curse His name. You're not, not, we're not. We're free to do what is right. There, the responsibility to do what's right comes from the standpoint of you have freedom. It is your responsibility because you're free to do... That's what it means to be judged by the perfect law of liberty. We're not going to be judged by the law of bondage. If we were free to do right, then why don't we do it? Is that not the law of liberty? If I'm free to do right, I believe at the judgment seat, we're going to be judged by the law of liberty. You were free to be a bold witness, were you? You were free to have a clean tongue, did you? You were free to live a holy life, did you? No, I was more concerned about earthly things. Well, then you have loss. You're saved, but you suffer loss. I believe that's what it means, be judged by the perfect law of liberty. We have been freed in Christ. May I say this? Every lost person that's bound in sin is free to get saved if they choose to. Christ has purchased their freedom. If they would humble themselves and accept it, they'll be judged by the law of liberty. You are free to be saved if you desire to be. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely so that no person is without excuse. There's no person that will be able to make an excuse. They are without excuse at the great white throne and we'll be without excuse at the judgment seat. I wanted to do right. I couldn't. No, no, no. If we're in Christ, again, this is to Christians. We are free to be responsible with our tongues and obey the prohibition to let no corrupt communication. Now, let's just get the definition of this very quickly. The restriction in the prohibition, what does he say? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What does the word corrupt mean? It means rotten. Now, you look at the Strong's Concordance, the first word to define it is rotten. The next word to define it is worthless, meaning that's where he uses the word vain back there. It has absolutely no value whatsoever. Worthless. How many worthless things come off our tongues? I believe this. I think the longer we walk the Lord, 
the more meaningful our speech should become. Meaning every time we open our mouth, it has value. Every time. I don't find, that's why <laughs> every word of God is pure. There's not one word in this book you can say what's worthless. No, no, every word has value. So the more we conform to him, the more our words have value. And so then the word rotten, worthless, bad, corrupt, that's what it means. Uh, From Webster's 1828, it means to be debased or rendered impure, changed to a worse state, such as corrupt language. How many of us watch people's language change as they become adults? You say, well, there's adult language in that movie. What do we mean? It's more corrupt than a five-year-old's language. You'd be better to go back to the five-year-old language. Amen? Meaning it grows worse. Corrupt means it's getting worse. And that's not, as a Christian, that's not to happen. Our language is not to be degraded. We're not, you think about the kind of language the world uses. You think, why? You think about the very words that come off their tongue and what those words mean. And I don't ask you to think about them. But you think, why would that be what you're talking about? Where does it make your mind go? Places it should not go. The, the Christian, never. We're not, we're not to use language that insinuates evil, language that infers filthiness or sin or encourages sin, but no corrupt communication. None is to proceed out of our mouth. Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, this goes back to what we've been saying, for out of it are the issues of life. The word proceed means to issue forth. So I would say this with, 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 with clarity. If we are going to honor the prohibition of verse 29, we are going to have to guard our hearts. One of the reasons many a child of God lets one slip is because of how much filth they ingest in a weekly period of time. Yeah, I believe this. You and I, can, we cannot control certain environments in our world, but we're responsible for the environments we do have control over. We are responsible for the corruption going in and the corruption coming out. Keep thy heart with all diligence. How many of you would like to get, I'm just, let me speak from my own perspective. I don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord say, you could have had a more powerful influence on the unsaved around you if you had not had speech that made them dismiss the message of the gospel. But the way you spoke or the way you wouldn't speak caused them to dismiss me. And you're responsible partially for their rejection of the gospel because your speech had no salt in it. We'll get to that in a minute, Colossians chapter 4. And so then, the responsibility is ours. The restriction is this, zero, none, zilch, corruption out of our mouth. If we curse God's name, is that corrupt? Use God's name in vain, is that corrupt? It is. If we use some off-color word on a regular basis that causes someone's mind to think of something filthy, is that corrupt? And God says none. That's the prohibition. Number two, we see the principle in verse 29. So the first part is a prohibition. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But as is the pattern in this text, when he says don't do this, each and every time he says do this instead. So instead of lying, speak truth every man to his neighbor. Instead of stealing, work. And instead of corrupt communication, no corrupt communication, but that which is good to the use of edifying. I wonder, man, if we could if we could category every word that proceeded from our mouth over the last seven day period, if we could catalog it and say, okay, these are the words I used, this was the effect it had on everybody that heard it. This is the word, these are the this is the speech I used, and this was the effect on everybody that heard it. I wonder how shocking that might be to us. 
We ought to ask, what do my words encourage in the heart and mind of the people that hear me? Do I encourage lasciviousness? Do I encourage bitterness? Do I encourage rebellion? Do I encourage deceit? Do I encourage faith? Do I encourage love of God? Do I encourage contentment and thankfulness? Do I encourage discontentment? Our words have an impact and an effect. Do I encourage the spirit of fear or the spirit of confidence? I need to know what effect. That's what this is all having to do with. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, meaning communication that will have a corrupting influence on the people that hear it. It's going to degrade their moral character by you having spoken it. And I understand immediately we go to people using filthy language, but I wanted to go through some categories that might be a little more applicable to us. I'm, I'm hopeful and assuming we're not out here telling a bunch of filthy jokes, not this crowd tonight, but we may be encouraging discontentment we may be encouraging murmur, a murmuring attitude or bitterness or some, some wrong way of thinking in somebody else, something that's degrading morally and spiritually, and that is corrupt communication. And so then uh, he says, here's the principle. Instead of corrupt communication, that which is good to the use of edifying. It's not hard to understand. The replacement is instead of the, the opposite or the antonym of corrupt is good. Instead of that which is going to tear down and, and, and rot, that which is going to give life and build up, that which is going to strengthen. So if it's a fellow Christian, our words should cause those who hear me to trust God more. My words should cause the person I'm speaking to, to long for holiness, to long for purity. My words should encourage gratitude, not discontentment. My words should add life and strength to those. Isn't that what God's word does to us? You know, it's amazing to me, the subject matter God can cover that never ever encourages me or makes me want to sin. God can cover sin, and he does in the Bible, but he does it in such a way I come away going, ugh, sin. You with me? I read about fornication in the Bible and it doesn't make me want that. It makes me say, ugh, I hate it. Because God's words are good. And the more we walk with God, the more our words will be good. Instead of corrupt, they're supposed to be good. And so then the replacement is instead of that which is corrupt, that which is good. You know one of the best ways to do this? If I make sure that my words are always in perfect harmony with the Bible, then my words will always be good. Amen? One of the best ways to do it, I believe this, Bible ought to come off our lips to the ears of somebody else daily. We ought to have Bible in our speech. I'm not talking about walking around with your nose in the air, quoting scripture all the time, people showing everybody how smart we are. I don't mean that. I mean we so believe the Bible that it is part of our vocabulary. And if we do that, we know we're speaking good things. And so the replacement is instead of that which is corrupt, that which is good, the result is benefit to the hearer and the building of something in them that is good. That's what edification means, building up. I believe this. God tells us our speech is doing one of two things. It is either corrupting and tearing down, or it is edifying and good and building up. There is no neutral. See, there's no neutral speech. God says the design of our speech is to do one or the other, and we're going to be given more to one or the other. I don't find that there's neutrality. I'm not saying there aren't neutral words out there, but how many of you know our heart dictates our speech? And therefore, it's either good 
or it's evil. It's either good or it's corrupt. And God says, instead of the corrupt that you had before you got saved like the rest of the Gentile world, replace it with that which is good, which is beneficial and, and edifying, all right? And so that which is good to the use of edifying. That word edification means to the benefit of another, to the building up of them, the strengthening of them, not the tearing down of them, all right? Number three, the purpose. He gives us the purpose. So we've seen the prohibition, 29a, and then in the middle of the verse, the principle. So the prohibition, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Here's the principle, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Here's the purpose, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Again, this is, this is how we measure our speech. What effect is it having on those who hear me? How many of us know this? You can use your speech to either rescue someone or destroy them. I'll use this illustration. It's what's coming to my mind tonight. You, you take a few siblings in a home, and one of them lets a root of bitterness into their heart. And how are they going to speak about mom and dad? One of the other kids says, Oh, dad brought home such and such today. It made me so excited. And the bitter child's going to say, You know, he never done that for me. And they're always like that. By the way, you hear somebody say, They're always like that. Watch out. Whether they're talking about a parent or talking about somebody else. Yeah, that's the way they always are. They're always favoring so-and-so. How many know when someone's got a root of bitterness in their heart, it will come out of their mouth? And what effect does that have on the hearer? Oh, yeah, they are kind of like that. Spreads, doesn't it? Uh, spreads. This happens. You can, you can plug this into many scenarios. Somebody has a, an ill heart toward another person. Uh, you watch this. When somebody has, and, and I just believe it's where the Lord's directing at this moment, a root of bitterness in their heart toward another person, that person comes up and all of a sudden we've either got to change the subject or find something to tear that person down in the mind of our hearer. How do you know this? You can have an enemy and you don't have to tear them down in the mind of somebody else. You don't have to. The only time I believe we should speak up and say, ah, that person's evil is for the safety and protection of the person we're talking to. When someone we're talking to needs to hear that person is doing you harm, then we need to pipe up like we've been reading in our scripture, in the word of God. Paul mentioned Hymenaeus and Alexander. Why? So he could tear them down? No, to defend Timothy from their damaging effect. But that was the only reason why. The reason Diotrephes was brought up, he is a damaging person. You need to know this for your safety. Other than that, how many think Paul named all his enemies? I highly doubt it. Had too many to name. But there were the times things would be named. But you know what we'll often do? We get a root of bitterness in our heart. Maybe somebody that is our peer and we have envy toward them. They're moving forward and we see somebody else admire them. Boy, we got to bring them down a notch or two now, don't we? And all of a sudden we're using our speech to do evil instead of doing good. And uh, God says, no, no corrupt. I'm, I'm trying to do this tonight so we understand. We don't, we don't narrow down corrupt communication to a, a, a half a dozen filthy words. Those are corrupt. But most people in this room, that's not going to be the struggle. The struggle is going to be what I'm preaching on right now. Letting the envy that's in our heart or the bitterness in our heart or the discontentment that is in our heart come out our tongue and spread that same sin to someone else. And the only way to not do that is replace. Look here. If I am discontent and constantly murmuring and grumbling about my life circumstances, I have to replace my murmuring with thanksgiving. I have to. Or I'm not right with God. How many of us know tonight we have no reason and excuse to murmur? I better say that again. 
We have no excuse to murmur about anything. That's why God says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. He knows us quite well, doesn't he? His commandments indicate our nature and what we have to deal with. My point is this tonight. If we're going to overcome evil or corrupt communication, it must be replaced, it's God's point, with good communication. We must replace murmuring with giving of thanks. We must replace bitterness with contentment and bitterness with, 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 with I don't know a better word than contentment. We must be content in whatsoever state we're in and, and so on and so forth. And we must replace filthy speech with pure speech. And, uh, and if it can't be said, then uh, something good can't be said, then it shouldn't be said at all. So then, the purpose, though, is this. God wants our words to minister grace to those who hear us. He uses us. See, here's what, what the Word of God says. We are a channel of God's blessing. Grace proceeds from God. It does not proceed for us from us as far as its origin. Grace proceeds from God, and it is ministered through us. God's grace is ministered through our mouths. And so then let's go back to Ephesians 4.29. Then we're going to go to Colossians 4 and, and finish there and in a couple of places in Proverbs. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Here's why. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. That word grace, of course, we, we use it in God's sense as unmerited favor. I believe that applies here. The person does not have to be deserving of words that will help them to receive words that will help them. And by the way, grace doesn't mean always a soft tone of voice. How many of us believe that gracious words proceeded from our Savior's mouth? including your generation of vipers? Is that what they needed? And I don't believe we need to step in and say, well, I'm the Savior, I'm going to go around calling people generation of vipers. But the fact of the matter is, let's not paint the Lord in a corner. Gracious words mean they render the benefit that the hearer needs. And here's how we do that. We must always speak the truth. We must always speak it from a heart that cares or loves the hearer. And so then... He would have our speech to be resourceful. We'll say that for outline's sake. It ought to give something that is beneficial to the one who hears it, whether it be a word of encouragement or it be a word of rebuke. Both of those are at times necessary. So Colossians chapter 4 now, if you would. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul has just said in verse 3, he said, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I, and I've circled in my Bible, ought to speak. Meaning there is a way a believer ought to speak, especially when it comes to giving the gospel, but in every manner. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So those are outside of the, 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 the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, outside of the faith. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Here it is. Let your speech be always... With grace, meaning no corrupt communication, but that which is good. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought, there's that word again, to answer every man. I believe there is a right answer for every man. You and I are supposed to follow God's principles so we know how we ought to answer every man. We, ought, we are to know my answer to a man is to never be corrupt. It's never to be rooted in fleshly wisdom. It's to be rooted in who Christ Jesus is and who I am in Him. And, 
Again, he said, let your speech be, what's the word? Always with grace. Meaning it is, grace has to do with giving a benefit to another that they've not earned. Always with grace. Seasoned with salt. I've read that and read that, uh, seasoned with salt, seasoned with salt. My mind immediately goes to Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. That was the Lord Jesus' concluding statement to the Beatitudes. You think about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes was all that instruction about how we're to respond uh, to things in this life, how we're to respond to God. Blessed are the meek, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe this, as we align with the mind of Christ, that life of obedience to Christ that you would find spelled out in those Beatitudes on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that, that life that is the mind of Christ about how He wants us to be in spirit and in speech and how we respond to our enemies and our adversities, that mind coupled with right words gives season. A godly life coupled with godly language is seasoned is seasoned language. I believe that season with salt has to do make sure your life and your speech match, that, that your lifestyle backs up what you're saying, that you are having the salt that's called for in Matthew chapter 5, that seasoning that gives, that gives season to your words, right? And I believe this, if you and I are living a, a half-cocked Christian life and then we try to speak for God, it's not going to go very far. Our words will be all the way with grace, seasoned with salt. I mean, the life that Christ commands to be the seasoning of our speech. And so uh, it is to be speech that is reinforced by a life of godliness and obedience to Christ. So it's resourceful speech, reinforced speech. And then, of course, that means we are to have readiness of speech. Again, Colossians 4, uh, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, meaning know how to conduct yourself toward the unsaved. Walk in, them toward, uh, in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. How many times is our response to men shooting from the hip? Simply a response to how that man makes me feel. How many times? And how many times does the Lord want us to answer men according to our passions or our emotions? We're supposed to have wisdom and know how to answer. When we've been ridiculed, when we've been mocked, when we've been rejected, or when someone's listening, when someone has an ear, we're supposed to have enough wisdom to know, I can't respond that way, that's corrupt. I am about to say something simply because he hurt my pride and I am absolutely angry. It'd be better to bite the tongue until I know what to say. Amen? And so then let's look at a couple verses in Proverbs. 1 Peter 3.15 first, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, meaning get, get the Lord the proper place in your heart he's supposed to have, ruling all the heart. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's 1 Peter 3.15. Proverbs 15.23. Proverbs 15.23. See, salt is about influence. And knowing how to use our tongue gives influence to our speech. I believe this. If we're constantly speaking, the person that speaks the most, their speech has the least influence. I'll say that again. I believe it's truth. The person who speaks the most, generally their speech has the least influence. Because by much speaking, we're not... God doesn't hear us for much speaking, let alone man. 
right? Proverbs speaks of how wise it is to hold the tongue. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is considered wise, right? Proverbs 15, 23 says this, uh, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Meaning a person knowing how to answer every man. A person knowing it's not time to speak. I need to hold my tongue. Now's the time. I've got to speak right now. How many have ever had the Lord impress you so much that if I don't speak up right now and say the truth, I am in sin? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've spoken to people and said, I've got to say this to you. The Spirit of God is dealing my heart. I've got to say what I'm going to say to you now. And if I don't, I'm in trouble with the Lord. I believe the Lord would have us to have a discernment about how to answer people so that our words help them, build them, bring them to the Lord if they're lost or strengthen their faith in the Lord if they're saved. Proverbs 25, 11. Here's where we'll close tonight. We're familiar with this verse, Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Apples of gold in pictures of silver. You think of your lips as a silver frame, and the words coming from that as apples of gold. You know what an apple does? An apple is sweet but healthy. (laughs) And an apple of gold is not only sweet and healthy, it is extremely valuable. God knows what he's doing. He gives word pictures. And so it's an apple of gold. An apple gives health to the, to the one who eats it. Gold represents the value of such words. How can we do that? Follow the prohibition and principle of Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Why? Why should I forbear from the corrupt communication, that which proceeds from my flesh, and only use that which proceeds from the Spirit of God? Why? That it may minister grace to the hearers. What is the basis of... What is the root motivation of that admonition? What would motivate a person to say, I'm not going to say that because it's it's just going to corrupt the hearer. And I will say this because it's going to give something that's going to help them. It's called charity, 1 Corinthians 13. Meaning I care more about their well-being than I care about my reputation. I care more about his reputation than my reputation. And therefore... When our speech is governed that way, I believe they're apples of gold in pictures of silver. How many of us know we've got some work to be done? Amen. I do. I do. That's why the Word of God is there, to help us do the work that needs to be done, clean up our mouths, <laughs> use our speech the way God wants us to. Mm-hmm.